Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. First Kings chapter number three, and uh, we will also be turning to 2 Chronicles chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter number 3 and 2 Chronicles chapter number 8. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Amen. I'm going to do some uh, checking this week. We have scheduled and has for, have for some time on the calendar uh, to have some missionaries with us uh, next Sunday evening. And uh, I'm just going to touch a base and make sure everything is still a go uh, this week. And if that's the case, I'll for sure be able to share that with you Wednesday night about them coming next Sunday night. Amen. We love our missionaries that are helping us to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. By their role and their capacity in which they they serve hallelujah perhaps that's given you time to get the first kings chapter number three if not you can cheat it's probably right before your face magically appears on the screen first kings three and verse number one the bible says and solomon made affinity with pharaoh king of egypt and took pharaoh's daughter brought her into the city of david until he had made an end of building his own house, the house of the Lord, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Second Chronicles chapter number 8 and verse 11, and, and really the Chronicles is a, somewhat of a recording of what I just read to you in essence, but uh, sometimes the recording may give some more enlightenment upon what was spoken, for instance, in 1 Kings 3 and 1. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 8 and verse number 11, And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David unto the house that he built for her. For he said, My wife. So we have a dynamic here, all right? This isn't just Pharaoh's daughter. This is Pharaoh's daughter who Solomon has taken as his wife. He says, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel. Because the places are holy. Whereunto the ark of the Lord hath come. And so what we have here is Solomon has brought pharaoh's daughter his wife into the city of david that at one time has been blessed has been touched by the ark of the covenant being in its presence and solomon says she's not going to dwell then in this place in the house of david i've made a particular spot for her but it's important to denote that she is the offspring of Pharaoh, the offspring of Egypt. 
Tonight, I want to minister to you this, and I, I, I have several things running through my head and heart here over the past week concerning this, and I pray the Lord helps me. But I want to minister to you this. If it's not fit for him, it's not fit for me. If it's not fit for him, then it's not fit for me. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I need you. Oh, God, purpose it, Lord, as you desire. God, hear this evening. Purpose it as you desire, Lord, across our live stream tonight. I pray, oh, Lord, today I know the things and the ponderings of my mind and the searchings, Father, of my heart and what I feel, Lord, like what you have laid upon my shoulders, the Lord Jesus, for here tonight. I pray, God, in the best manner, in the best tone and way. Help me, Lord, to convey, Lord Jesus, your word. God, to convey something, Lord, that people can wrap their arms around, their minds around, their spirits around, that can help order our steps and condition our walk, Lord Jesus, with you, to be as you have called us to be. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's not fit for him, it's not fit for me. The psalmist said that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the earth is his, but the scripture of the Old Testament writ tells us that he particularly chose Israel as his special people. They were considered, as I've oftentimes conveyed to this congregation, they were considered a peculiar treasure unto the Lord above all people, namely because of this, because they obeyed his voice and they kept his covenant. It was God's purpose to use Israel as an example of what his people would look like sound like, uh, uh, live their lives like, those that he, they, he would call his own. They were to serve as an example to all other nations and to all other people what God's people were like. He regarded them, the scripture tells us, as a kingdom of priests. He regarded them as a holy nation. And that holiness or that distinction was not a burden unto the nation of Israel. But it was through the proper means of their attitude a privilege unto them. Because it set them apart as his. It made them, if you will, considered the Lord's own. They had not been called according to the Old Testament to necessarily track with the culture that they lived in, with the culture of Egypt or the culture of the Canaanites. They were not called to track with the culture of their surroundings or their circumstances or their environment. Amen. Nor did their cultures, uh, customs become adoptive customs 
of their own. What that means is this. They didn't just adopt the customs around them as their own because they were to be a set-apart people, a sanctified people. They were to be a people holy even as their God was holy. The writer of the New Testament scripture, the Apostle Paul, even follows this up in the New Testament whenever God spoke to the church at Ephesus and told them these words. He said, henceforth, he said, walk not as other Gentiles walk. The Apostle Paul was addressing a group of Gentiles that had been changed by the marvelous power and grace of God. And therefore, he admonishes them, since you've been changed by the power of God, since God has put his name upon your life, you should not walk as other Gentiles of you walk. You should walk differently than what you used to walk now that you know the Lord. You should walk differently now that the Lord's name is upon you, or at least differently from the Gentiles who have not have partaken of the power and the presence of God's regenerating spirit in their life. In part, that meant that those people should not practice the same customs as their culture around about them. The Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 10, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, God said, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. He said, for the custom of the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. The Lord was speaking through the prophet in that day. He said, learn not the way of the heathen. He said, the customs of the people, he said, are vain. One translation says it like this, their customs are futile, meaning that their customs are hollow. They, they are ineffective. They are unprofitable. Their customs are worthless and to no purpose. Among their customs, according to Jeremiah, was the cutting down of a tree and then taking that and carving that into a God, amen, in which, to which they would worship. They had a custom then of worshiping the created design of their own hands. They, they, they had a custom of worshiping things of their own liking. God said, that's not my way. That is a futile way. That is a unprofitable way. That is to no purpose. He says, there's got to be a distinction, right, between my people and that people. What their custom may be may not necessarily be your custom. What their practice may be may not necessarily be my practice. But see, you're a set apart people. I have you as a cut above the others because you are an example to exemplify who my people are, how they should think, how they should act. As a matter of fact, the word of the Lord, particularly in the book of Leviticus, is so replete with instructions to the priests of that day. He told them he says, priest, it is your obligation. It is your duty to make a difference between that which is clean and that which is unclean. It is your responsibility to know among the eyes of the people what is holy and what is unholy or what is holy and what is profane. He says, I want you to understand that if you were to touch no unclean thing, priest, and you are to cause the people to be able 
to discern the difference between these types of things. I want the nation of Israel to know that there is a difference. I want the people to understand that there is a line of division. There is a line of separation. The Bible says in Leviticus 11 and verse 44, the scripture says, God, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God is making reference to something he's already talked to them about. He has already told them previously among the creeping things, those that crept upon the earth, which ones were unclean to them. He did not want them. He's telling them then, don't defile yourself with those things that I have deemed unclean unto you. If I've, if I've deemed it off limits, if I've deemed it unclean, he says, then don't don't entangle your life. Don't entangle your life with those things that have the possibility of defiling you. He says you're to be a sanctified people. You're to be a set apart people because I'm your God. Woo! Because I'm your Lord. Because I'm your master. He says if anything else is your master, then do what you will. But if I'm going to be your God and I'm going to be your master and your Lord, then you must be sanctified and not defile yourself with these things. You're to be holy because I am holy. Someone say amen. In many respects, God was setting down, if you will, an idea, a concept, an ideology that his people were to be an extension of who he was and might clearly who he is. His church was to come to the unity of the faith and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. In other words, he wanted Israel to look like who God was in the heavens. He wanted Israel to act as God desired in the heavens. They were to be an extension of who God was. He's a God that was a spirit that moved upon mankind in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ had not come in Bethlehem's manger yet. And so God says, if anybody's gonna have any idea about God, the nature of God, the characterization of God. I choose my people Israel. They'll be an extension and a visible, if you will, model of who God should be in the world and to the people. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. He goes on in verse 45 of chapter 11 of Leviticus, the very next verse, and he reiterates, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. <laughs> 400, 430 years of Israel spent in Egyptian bondage. God says, I brought you out. I am your God, and therefore you shall be holy. It's as almost he is making a, a clear distinction and understanding. Amen. That Egypt, amen, is not the characterization that I want you to be. I know you lived in Goshen. You let the light shine, and there was a you can be you can be in the world and not of the world. He said, but Egypt, I said, I brought you out of, and I'm your God for you to be holy. I gave you a land. In other places in the Old Testament. 
Testament. He says, I gave you a land to inherit that is not Egypt. I gave you a land to inherit that's separate, amen, from all the other peoples of the land. Amen. Even through the mouth of the prophet Balaam, amen, who was hired to curse God's people. Balaam in one particular place in Numbers told Balak, the king of Moab, he said, this children of Israel that you want me to curse. He says, I tell you that they shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. You know what Balaam was telling Balak? He said, they're not like any other nation. They're not like any other people. They stand alone. They dwell alone. They are by themselves. They He says they're they're different. They're set apart. They're holy. Isaiah said it like this concerning them. He said they should be for a light to the Gentiles. But you can't be a light to something if you're exactly like the something you're trying to be a light to. Now, God is so bent on this holiness and his holiness that he doesn't want anything to stand between his holiness and his people. Places where God abode and places where he put his name. We understand from scripture at once seemed to become holy because they had been touched by the presence of God or his name, meaning his name that is tied to his nature was placed upon those things. That is one reason in the Old Testament is why we hear God calling to Moses, amen, out of the backside of the desert, amen, as as he is in that burning bush that's being burned but not consumed. He cries out to Moses, 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 take your shoes off your feet for the ground that you stand on is holy ground. The manifestation of the presence of God in that bush and in that moment had sanctified that space and God didn't want anything even if it was a sandal to stand between Moses and God's holiness. Oh yes. Someone say hallelujah. And so in all of this we go to our text tonight. Because Solomon here in the writings of scripture that I shared with you likewise identifies the holiness of God in the house of David, his father. Solomon understood, he states quite plainly, that Pharaoh's daughter, his wife, could not dwell in the house of David because those places are holy wherein to the ark of the Lord hath come. He understood that the Lord had been in the city of Jerusalem. The Lord had been in Mount Zion, if you will, among the house of David. And since the Ark of the Covenant had been there, he understood that place to be holy because it has been touched, impacted, and impressed upon by the presence of the Lord. See, the Old Testament scripture tells us that it was King David, by the instruction of even God himself, felt like he must go and get the Ark of the Covenant 
and bring it back to Jerusalem where it belonged. And so under the guidance of King David, the ark of God had been brought back to the city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, if you will. And when God's presence got there and stayed there for a moment of time, of course, while a temple was being built, his presence was sanctifying and setting apart that city of David, that city of God. God's presence had come and made those places and spaces holy. He had set them apart. He had made a difference between them, the city of Jerusalem, and any other city in the surrounding area. But what we are seeing through David's son Solomon is somewhat different. It's a different generation of a different time. See, the Bible tells us that David brought the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, to Jerusalem. But what we see in Scripture to begin with, when Solomon's going to build his house and, and the temple and the walls, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter to the same city where his father brought God's presence to that city. Solomon is bringing an Egyptian to that city in David's time. Listen to me here for a bit. I got a point, but it's just going to take me a little bit to get there. David's time, in his time when he wanted to expand territories, whenever he wanted to amass lands, it was the personality, the prerogative, the way in which David went about. He fought in order to gain territories. He fought in order to amass lands. The Bible describes all of the fighting years of David. He was a man of war. He knew how to go out and he knew how to come in. He would go into areas that he desired and he would drive out the inhabitants of the land and claim the land for Israel. Claim the land for God. And David's years of fighting, it would seem, gave away to a time of peace for his son to reign, whose name alone Solomon means peace and yet when Solomon in his day as being king sought to expand territories and sought to accumulate lands rather than fighting for them he compromised for them someone say amen see Solomon gets the lands because he makes alliances with foreign kings where they can hopefully seemingly coexist on the land. And so what we have here is a different generation. What one generation fought for, another generation in the spirit of keeping peace compromised for. Hallelujah. Bless God. We must understand something. And I'm speaking for the generation that I live in. And this is what we must understand. The peace that was handed down to us from the former generation did not come to us because they compromised. It came to us because they fought. That if there was something inhabiting what they needed, they fought for it. They drove it out. They annihilated it. And they claimed it as their own. It wasn't because of compromise. It wasn't because of diluting it or watering it down. The peace that came to our generation is because somebody fought. And if we're going to maintain that same type, that same, if you will, peace, it's still going to have to be fought for and not compromised for. Oh, yes. Mm. Solomon made an alliance, the Bible says, or affinity with Pharaoh and married Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen well, 
a good way, if I could say it like that, I almost feel guilty saying that, but a good way to make alliance or affinity with a foreign power is to marry his offspring. In other words, Solomon made affinity or alliance with Pharaoh by marrying his daughter. See, whenever you're talking about making affinity or you're talking about making alliance, what you're looking for is mutual cooperation. What you are looking for in an alliance is this. You're looking at merging your effort with their effort. What you're looking for is shared interest. Oh, now listen to me. We've already set the platform. God said they're different from any other people. God said they're set apart. They're mine. They're holy. They're to be the example. They're to be the influencer and not be influenced. And yet Solomon here is making an allowance, alliance rather, and an allowance, amen, for shared interests. And they're made. They're made with the authority. Pharaoh. Pharaoh's just a title in reality. It's not the name of a person. Pharaoh just denotes the king of, of Egypt. And so he's making an alliance with the authority of Egypt. Listen to me. At the cost of marrying Egypt's offspring. Hmm. Look at it now. Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's marrying a daughter of Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's think for a moment. They haven't been that far removed from the flesh pots of Egypt. Amen. And those years, amen, of bondage in Egypt that they would forget that Egypt is that place that's known as the iron furnace. That Egypt is that place that is known and demarked by its hard taskmasters that was over the Israelites. That Egypt is the tyrant that held them years upon years in bondage. That Egypt, listen to me now, that Egypt is that power that sought to eliminate their next generation by killing their sons and then later throwing them into the Nile. Watch me here. Which according to the Egyptians was nothing more but a manifestation of one of their gods. Let's back up. Egypt is the place that sought to eliminate their next generation to other gods. Some would say hallelujah. And yet Solomon in this moment is desiring an alliance with a nation that would like to eliminate his generation in the future by mixing and muddling it with other gods. Here we have the story. David risked his life on the battlefield to defeat enemy nations and claim their lands. But not Solomon. He's going to gain access by marriage of the leader's daughters. Folks, listen to me real plainly tonight. See, there's a lot of incentive to not start a war with your neighboring enemy if he's your daughter's husband or if he's your wife's father. It's hard to start wars. I know we have family debacles, but it's hard to start wars in families. Hallelujah. It eases the friction. It sways the conflict. It makes life easier when everyone has common and shared ground and shared relationships. 
See, I, I, can, I can have some opposition, amen, with Pharaoh as long as we have no common ties but if we have a common shared relationship that his daughter is my wife, see that everything changes. The Bible tells us explicitly that Solomon loved many strange women, including Pharaoh's daughter, and that marrying them was the cost of his quote-unquote peace. The Bible says that he joined himself to women of the Moabites, of the Ammonites, of the Edomites, of the Zion, of the Zidonians, of the Hittites. He married women from all these places, many of which was women, a man who had some type of clout, a man in those areas. But what's interesting to me is this. Many of the relationships that Solomon entered into with these people were the very same ones that his father David had fought against because they were contrary to God and contrary to the dynamics and ideas of Israel. In other words, David fought Moabites and Ammonites, but Solomon is marrying into the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so the Bible says that Solomon, I gotta preach here. The Bible says that Solomon brings Pharaoh's daughter now to the city of David. He brings his wife, as it's more plainly spoken to us in Chronicles, to the city of David because Solomon still needs to build his own house. He needs to make a place for him to stay. He's in the business of building the most grand temple that there ever was, the house of the Lord. And he's there uh, putting up the wall around about Jerusalem and around about Zion. And the Bible tells us all the long while he is building his house, God's house, doing the wall that this woman, Pharaoh's daughter, his wife, was in the immediate vicinity of where the ark had been or was. And David's final word on the matter after he had finished building everything is, she cannot dwell here. <laughs> so he brings her to the city. Stay here, dear, until I get the house built. Until I get God's house built. And as I'm building God's house, oh, watch me here. As I'm building God's house and putting a wall around God's city because we're God's people, he says, I'm going to take some time also to build my house. And in the process of building my house, I'm going to provide a space for you at my house because you can't stay where God's presence is because it's a holy place. Uh, uh, the Bible, some different translations, he read it like this. It speaks of the house that he made Pharaoh's daughter. And some may look at it as though he built her a separate house. But there's many that lend to the idea that Solomon built her some private quarters in his own house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that her house, so to speak, was in essence a part of his house. And he was making provisions and space for her at his house. Amen. And so the house that Solomon built for Pharaoh's daughter again was a part of his newly built palace that he was working on. Now, you got to get this in your mind. At the same time, he's trying to build God's house. He's building a personal home for himself and for his Egyptian wife. 
And so here is the problem. She will not and cannot dwell in the house of David because God's presence has been there and is there. And because of that being there, it's a sanctified place. It's a holy place. And God's presence sanctifying all those places. An Egyptian woman cannot live there. Now follow me here very close. I'm trying. 30 minutes already in. God help us all. Amen. Some try to pass off this carelessness of Solomon's marriage to Pharaoh's daughter by saying, well, you know what? What what the real situation was. We have no record of this in Scripture. What the real situation is is that, that Pharaoh's daughter was a proselyte, meaning that she was coming over and she was going to deny Egypt and she was accepting Judaism and so on and so forth. Listen, I don't believe that for a moment. And the reason why I don't believe that is in the New Testament scripture, whenever Peter was in having his vision, and Cornelius has already had his, and in Peter's vision, he's seen a sheet that was being dropped down with, with manners of unclean beast upon it. What did God say unto Peter? He said, Peter, he said, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Which means you can arise and eat that because I've cleansed that. And so if God truly cleansed the Egyptian Pharaoh, daughter and she wasn't common why couldn't have she stayed in the city of David and evidently watch me here evidently by Solomon's own knowledge assumption whatever you want to call it by Solomon's own deducing he thought her not holy enough to dwell where his holiness dwelt According to Solomon himself, she didn't seem to be able to fit in the house of David. Evidently because she was not holy. She was unclean. I'm persuaded tonight, folks, that that wife that Solomon took, a man of Pharaoh's daughter, was religiously just as Egyptian as any other Egyptian. She was just as religiously impure as every other woman Solomon would marry that served other gods that was made impure. But what gets me at the core of my being is this, that Solomon made room for her and others possibly made room for her when she wasn't fit to to live where God's presence had been. She was too holy to live in David's house. And so Solomon says, I'll make space for her at my home. preaching right now to the audience that's listening here tonight. There is trouble. Listen to pastor tonight. There is trouble if you must provide special places and special housing for what you're bringing into your life. If it can't exist in certain spaces because they're holy, that must mean what you're endeavoring to bring into your life isn't holy either. If it can't exist in God's presence, it has no business existing in your life. If you call yourself a child of the living God. Someone say amen. If you're questioning in your mind, as Solomon must have did in that moment, whether it's proper for Pharaoh's daughter to stay here in daddy's house, to stay here in Jerusalem, a sanctified place. Should I take her and make her a house? Should I take her somewhere else? If you're questioning whether or not it's proper, amen, for her to be there, she's probably...
probably not proper to even be in your sanctified life because you should be an extension of who he is. You Someone say hallelujah. Uh, folks, what we have here is I can't leave her where God's ark's been. I can't leave her where God's presence is at. She has no place there. But I'll make her a place in my home. Quite frankly, for our subject matter tonight, if it isn't fit for him, then it's not fit for you or me either. You will read. You will read in the pages of scripture at different times. But the Bible describes that Solomon loves the Lord. But we understand tonight as well that Solomon loves some things that can't dwell in the presence of the Lord. Woo! We have a dilemma. You say you love the Lord, but you love some things that cannot exist in the presence of the Lord. Someone say glory. And what, follow me here, what can't dwell in God's presence, Solomon decides to take home. I question us tonight. Ponder this rhetorically in your mind. How can a man build the house of the Lord and a wall around Jerusalem to protect it and at the same time build a space for an Egyptian offspring in his own house? How can he on one hand be doing the most marvelous work that was ever done as an edifice for God, amen, in the entirety of history and at the same time be building something for an Egyptian wife in his own house? Can I tell you the only way that a man can do that if that man does not see his house as an extension of the house of God? There's only one way you can feel like you're building God's house and can build your house contrary to it. You don't think there's a connection between the two, but I beg to differ with you tonight. God's house and our personal households should and ought to be connected. They are extensions of the house of God. Oh. I'll tell you how Solomon did this. He did this by compartmentalizing things <laughs> compartmentalizing things see in the real psychological world compartmentalizing things is nothing more listen to me but a defense mechanism compartmentalizing things they say is a coping measure that people lean toward when they are dealing with two things that have conflicting values. They compartmentalize. In other words, oh, help me, Jesus. The life you live at church is different from the life that you live at home. And the only way you can, quote, unquote, successfully live church life and home life is to keep them separate. 
That's how Solomon can build the house of God and yet make provision in, in the most plainest words for the flesh. He doesn't see that there's any connection. He keeps them separate. But the Bible tells us that Solomon is aware of the difference. Or he would have left that little lady right there in the city of David. But he said, no, this is a holy place. And evidently she's unholy. They can't coexist. Look at this. You, you, you want to see how, how profound and how twisted this can get. You look in verse number 11 of Second Chronicles chapter number 8. He's just said unto his wife, you can't dwell here. I'm going to take you, amen, to the house that I built for you and look at verse number 12 2nd Chronicles 8 12 then Solomon offered burnt offerings unto the Lord on the altar of the Lord what hold on you just spoke that the little lady can't stay here but I made a place for you in my house an Egyptian woman and you turn right around and now going to offer up sacrifices to God how do you do that compartmentalized this is God's house this is my home this is where we play the act of holy. This is where we can be unholy. This is where we sing praises unto the Lord. This is where we can say whatever we want to say. This is This is here where we act like right, live right, speak right. This is where I'm the one of commander in chief, the dictator of my, if you will, house pat. And we can do whatever we want to do. Compartmentalizing. It's God's house. It's my house. What, what goes on in God's house is God's business. But what goes on in my house is my business. Well, I hate to tell us all, somebody should include a good old Joshua in on this scope. Because he said in Joshua 24 and 15, he was speaking to the children of Israel. He knew his dying day was upon him. He said, you got to choose you this day whom you shall serve. If you're going to serve the gods that were the gods of your father, or if you're going to serve the Lord, he said, but as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, we've not crossed over. We've not did this. We've not done that. We lack many things. He said, but me and my house, our household, we are going to serve the Lord. You know what Joshua was saying? What goes on in my house is still God's business if I call myself a child of God. Yes. And if it's not fit for him, it's not fit for me. Folks in the Old Testament, before there was ever a tabernacle, you hearing me? Before there was ever a tabernacle, before there was ever the outer court, the holy place, the holies of holies, the ark of God, any of that. Before there was any of that in the wilderness, there's just tents in the desert where households abode. And God was willing to share some things even with the great father Abraham. Not because... Abraham had a temple that he could regularly go to and attend every Sabbath. But God says, I can share these things with Abraham because I know he'll command his children and his household well in keeping my ways. No house of God, but there was a house of a father that was in alignment with what God's house would be. 
Furthermore, whenever we read that Jacob is coming back after his years of, of, of being separated from his homeland, separated from Esau, he's come back with, with, with Rachel. Amen. He's come back with Leah. He's come back with, with several sons and men servants and maidservants and cattle and livestock. The Bible says in Jacob's return, where is he headed? He is headed to Bethel. He is headed to the house of God. But before they ever get there, Jacob looks at his household and he tells them here are some things we need to do before we ever arrive at the house of God because where he was going and his family was going amen his family needed to reflect not just whenever they got there but even whenever they were not yet there because this wasn't Jacob's first time to the house of God he wasn't green he wasn't wet behind the ears this wasn't the first occurrence that he ever had at Bethlehem he was going back to a place that he knew he was going back to a place he was aware of and the Bible says he says in Genesis 35 and verse 2 then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments you know what Jacob's saying that's where we're going but our house needs to reflect that place someone say amen our house needs to reflect that place. God's house and your individual house do and are connected if you call yourself a child of God. We have spent too much time, too much time, too much energy, and too much trickery in trying to provide spaces in our homes for things that we can't bring to church with us. So much so that some are so good at it that they know if it can't come to church, at least they can keep it at home. It can exist there. Matter of fact, I'll make special provisions. I'll add on. In order for it to remain. God's house and our house should have a connection. Folks, whenever it was the day and the feast of the Passover in the book of Exodus, amen, it was the blood of a Passover lamb that was put upon the doorposts and the lintel of the Israelites' households. Was it not according to the Passover feast that a lamb for a family, a lamb for a household, if you're saying, if you're telling me that God's house, God's itinerary has no connection with your own personal household, then you might as well remove the blood from your doorpost. Because Scripture teaches me it's still a lamb for a household. It's still a blood over the doorpost and the lintel of a household. Amen. A man's life, a man's home ought to be an extension of God's house. God himself. Because when we view it any differently, here's what we will do. We will make allowances for things in our life that will never be allowed in his presence. We must not be sucked into this concept. Living a certain way on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or any other function that we have around the grounds or the periphery of the church, 
and then live something differently in our own homes. If it can't exist here, if it can't, if it cannot endure the holiness of the Lord here, it need not to be having any endurance in your privacy of your home. So what do we need to do, Brother McGee? We need to do this. If it's not fit for him, then it's not fit for you and me. Years ago, an old book just rocked the world, and it really came from the late 1800s, an old minister from Topeka, Kansas, that, that would highlight different stories almost on a weekly basis. It's a book. Bishop passed it around, I remember, in the day. But it was in a book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. Uh, the society then went through this big craze because the main question that was centered, that book centered around was the WWJD, what would Jesus do? And Sheldon in the late 1800s would share stories uh, of, of moral things and other things along those lines. And he would pose to his congregation, what would Jesus do? And what he was fostering in the minds of his congregation is this, if Jesus wouldn't do it, then neither should we. He was not advocating if Jesus wouldn't do it or if Jesus wouldn't allow it to be permissible in his house, then you just take it home. No, 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 no. But if he wouldn't do it, then neither should we. Folks, what we need to do in this hour is start to check everything in our household by what we would feel comfortable in bringing to God's house. I think it was old Jeff Arnold years ago. He said, hey, honey, he said, if Jesus is sitting on the couch with you and you're watching a movie and you're eating popcorn and you can lean over and say, Lord, how about a little bit of popcorn? And you're able to do that with a clean conscience. He says, then great. But if not, he said, you might need to turn it off. You know what that's saying? If it's not fit for him, then it's not fit for me. What we need to do in this hour then is to engage things by God's house, God's word, God's spirit, God's holiness, even for our own personal homes. Because our homes, again, should be extensions of his house. He wants his church to be as the Israel of the Old Testament, set aside, different, sanctified, peculiar, his special treasure. Honey, Jesus Christ is not walking in shoe leather anymore in earthly ministry as he had the Israel of old to depict what God should be among the nations and when he had Christ Jesus of what God should be among the nations he still has the church and left her in this world right now about what God should be among the nations and if it's not fit for God it should not be fit for us because I don't want to give a false perception I don't want to give a false perception to the nations around and the worlds around that this is what God is like. Uh, hear me? But I sadly today, and I, I, I gotta shut up. But sadly, there are alliances being made for the sake of peace. No one's wanting to fight any battles anymore. No, 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 no. We're all about easy. We're all about being comfortable. We're all about not feeling peculiar. Amen. God help me. I'm just feeling just. Uh, I, I would speak this tonight, and I don't doubt this. I feel this also. Uh, 
ultimately in my spirit. God help me. This is for FAC church members. If you're watching from anybody else, just ignore me right now. This is FAC. But I, I believe that there may be some FAC church members that are a little reluctant and nervous about coming back to church. Because now we have a live stream. And if I raise a hand now and that catches me, that's not just in God's house, but that's going to the nations around me. If I take a lap around the church then, if I come to the altar in prayer then and my hand shakes. Are you hearing, Pastor, right now? And the only type of people that have problems with that are those that don't live the same life at home as they do at church. But if it's fit for him, then it's fit for me. And if it's not fit for him, it's not fit for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If our musicians can come, if you can bow your heads all over this place. If you can bow your heads all over this place. Hallelujah. I don't want to live a double, uh, a double life. I don't want to compartmentalize my life. One life at my home, one life at the church. One way that I appear here, one way I appear there. No, 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 no. There is a connection. One should be the extension of the other. Hallelujah. If it can exist in his presence, then, sir, man, perhaps it doesn't need to exist in your life. And if the generation before fought for things in order to get us to, quote, unquote, times of peace, in order to keep that peace, we're going to have to remain fighting the same fights and swinging the same banners. Oh, yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray right now, Lord Jesus. God, right now in this place and beyond these walls. God, for people that has heard, Lord, what has been spoken in this place. For people that has been flirting, God, with alliances that are contrary to you. With alliances that uphold things, God, that are diabolical to you. I pray, oh Lord, for those people, God, that say, well, that's not suited for God's house. But they have, or God has no say so in my house I'm his on Sunday I'm his on Wednesday but whenever we get home and we close our door and the door hits our threshold what we do there is our own business folks we're going to give record of the account of ourselves for things in this house and things outside this house when we stand before the Lord and if I want to be amen acknowledged and pleasing to him then I must live a life that's pleasing pleasing to him now in or outside of the scope of the edifice of the house of God God is not going God is not going to ignore or turn his head on his own holiness please hear me God is not going to turn his head or ignore his own holiness whenever we stand before the Lord he's going to want to see himself in us he's wanting to I want to see that special treasure, that peculiar people, that holy nation in us. And in order to do that, I got to gauge what I allow and let in my life by whether or not it would be allowed or left in his presence. Well, Brother McGee, you're saying that nobody can ever come to the Lord. You missed it. 
If you think that's been the crux of this, you missed it. We all have our first time of coming to the Lord and our lives are a mess. But here's the power of God. When he fills you with his spirit and his power comes on you and you're baptized in his name, what happens? Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's not God ignoring his holiness. That's God bringing us alongside to be equal, to reflect, emulate who he is in our personal lives. Father, right now, I pray, God, you move upon these people. Move upon the saints, Lord, of the first apostolic church, I pray. God, help us, Lord, to live. God, inside and outside the church, let there be no difference. Let there be no difference. God, I pray, oh Lord, let there be, God, not just one type of person over here. And we kind of box that up whenever service ends on Sunday. We go over here and we open up our new box. And these two don't interact. They don't really know each other because they're just separate places that we go and we do and we function. We function as the environment demands wherever we are. No, 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 no. I want to function as Christ would want me to function. And everywhere I go, continue to do so because I am exemplifying him in the earth. I'm exemplifying him to the nations. And that's what he has called us to be. His, his and his Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.